If you go to China, you too can grow amazing long hair like that. (laughs) I was 24 years old, and I was sitting on the wood floor of my apartment in China with 10 college students in a circle around me, and I was crying. I was just overwhelmed with the thought, how did I get here? God, how have you been so good to me? And I just, I just started to look around the room kind of one by one at people. You know, the, there was Ren who wanted to be the president of China someday, and he got saved when God had healed him from HIV. And there was Stuart who had gotten saved on Christmas Day when I preached to a small group. There, there was Matt, my best friend from America, and my partner in crime who were helping me do all this stuff together. There was Sean who we'd shared our lives with for seven months before he finally gave his life to Christ. There was John who called us on the phone after we'd met with him one time and literally over the phone asked, what must I do to be saved? There was Chan Kwan, who was a new believer at the time, but right now leads a church of three or four hundred in the middle of China. And I thought of the dozens of others that we'd gotten to lead to Christ that year too. And I just cried. Because I was getting ready to go back to America a week later. And God had done so much amazing stuff that year. And it had been without a doubt, without a doubt, the best year of my life. And then I remembered how I'd gotten there. I'd volunteered. You know, my dad talked about it a little bit, but really, God never told me to go to China. Matt and I were down in Virginia at Regent, and we were hanging out together. And out of the desire that God had put in our heart, I I know God was working behind the scenes to make the whole thing happen, but there had never been a word telling me to go. And he had been working this whole time behind the scenes and doing stuff in my heart and our desires, and out of the desires of our heart welled up a decision. We wanted to volunteer ourselves. We wanted to offer ourselves We wanted to make ourselves available. And it was out of that 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 incredible experience came to be. You know, there's a word for someone who will only do something if you give them a direct command. We call that a slave, right? They only do exactly what you tell them because there's some power or force you have in the situation. And then if you're not telling them to do something, then they they don't do anything. We call that a slave. And there's a difference between a slave and a volunteer. But sometimes as believers, we actually position ourselves as slaves. We say, basically, God, I'm I'm waiting for direct, specific orders. And in that situation, I will act. But otherwise, I'm going to put myself into a posture of passivity. But God is not looking for slaves He's looking for sons and daughters. He's looking for people who out of love will pour themselves out to give him his desires. And another word for that is a volunteer. A slave will obey a direct command, but a volunteer does what you want before you even ask them. A slave acts out of fear, but a volunteer acts out of love. A slave works begrudgingly, but a volunteer works willingly. 
And what, what does it look like to be a volunteer? It looks like when you're walking around the city of Rochester and you see a homeless person on the street, you stop and you buy that guy a meal, not because you ought to or because the Holy Spirit came down and said something so strong that you had to do something in that situation, but because out of your heart you want to show God's love to people. It looks like when you're walking on the street and you see someone that needs Christ and you go up to them and you begin to share Christ with them. Not, again, because the Holy Spirit somehow so constrained you or so convicted you in the moment you were somehow forced to step out and do this, but because you want God to find his lost sons and daughters. It's something that wells up in my heart. It looks like not only asking Jesus the question, God, what do you want me to do? But also, this is my heart for you. Can I do this? It's initiative. It looks like graduating from EBI and going to Africa for a year, not because God told you to, but because you want to give him the reward of his suffering. You're offering yourself up to give him something you know is the desire of his heart. God is not looking for slaves, and he's not looking for robots. He's not looking for people that will just follow direct orders or only do what they're programmed to do. He's looking for lovesick sons and daughters who will pour their lives out for him. He's looking for volunteers. But there's this myth that the enemy loves to infect his church with that he could somehow squash the spirit of a volunteer. And it says something like this. Unless God tells me exactly what to do, I should do nothing. Let me say it again. Unless God gives me the exact thing, the specific steps of an assignment of what I should do, I should do nothing. And here's the scary reality. This myth, we're actually most susceptible to it when we're in Bible school. Why? Because it takes the beautiful, precious things that are in your heart and it twists them. But that humility to know I can't do anything on my own. That longing to hear God's voice. That desire to obey what he wants me to do in everything. It takes those precious things that God has worked in you. And the very reason that you're sitting here in these seats right now, and it twists it somehow into this posture of passivity. And so in an effort to do the right thing, we do nothing. We don't step into the work that God has already spoken to us in the scriptures. We don't even step into that unique call that he's already spoken prophetically over many of your lives because I'm waiting for some kind of for a specific action step for him and he's waiting for a volunteer. And honestly, that was the heartbreaking thing for me about that year in China. Because as I was in China experiencing, honestly, it was literally the best year of my life. There's the amazingness, the wonder of what God was doing that I just was stumbling into during that time. I looked back at so many of my friends that I graduated from EBI and C with just a few years before. People who were missions majors. People who had shared with me late at night their sense of call to full-time ministry. People I'd gotten up early with in the morning and prayed that God would use us to somehow bring revival to different places. And 80% of those people had not taken any steps of action into that thing that God had spoken over their lives. They were just in a holding pattern, flying around the airport, not moving on in the direction that God had already spoken to them. They had all the incredible training and equipping and knowledge and experience that comes from three years at being at the Bible school here, 
but they weren't going anywhere. And honestly, that was one of the reasons we started Campus Target in the beginning, was we said, if we could start something that would help people get a little jump into ministry and build those foundations of ministry, maybe it would help people take those steps when they finish Bible school. But that myth, that until God speaks something specific, I should do nothing, is not of him. I want to look together at the scriptures of how God actually moves people into their calling. Let's open up first to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, I'll start reading right in the beginning. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and two his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me. I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. And he said, Go and speak to this people. So Isaiah has this incredible encounter with the Lord in his presence. God basically opens up heaven to him. He's brought into the throne room of God and is exposed to the holiness of God in such a degree he can't even stand up. He's just totally knocked over by what's happening in this experience. And as that goes on and God's working in him, there comes this moment where Isaiah is overhearing the counsel of heaven. He says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And he's not talking to Isaiah. You can imagine it's like the three persons of the Trinity were kind of sitting around a little conference table talking. And Isaiah is kind of behind them standing, watching what's happening. And this council is happening among the Godhead, among these three persons of the Trinity as they're looking and they're talking about their purposes in the earth. And God says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And at this moment, Isaiah does something that takes a lot of guts. He literally interrupts one of the council meetings of heaven. You've got to have something pretty important to say when you're saying, wait a second, Holy Spirit, I got this one, right? And so he says, wait, 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 here am I, send me. You, you have a need out here? There's something you're wanting done in the earth? I don't even know what it is yet, you haven't even said, here am I, send me. And then from that place, the father turns and looks at him and says, okay, you, go into this people and speak. And he begins to give him a prophetic word. Now, I want you to catch the order of what's happening here. The volunteering 
happens before the calling. Right? Sometimes we can think God just should say something to me like, hey, I want to send you into Egypt, and you did this incredible work, and you'd say, yes, God, okay. And I yield to it. And, and sometimes it does happen like that. But many times it does not. In this situation, the volunteering actually precedes the calling. And if you look at it, I, I would even go as far to say the volunteering actually invites the calling. What, what would have happened if the Father had said, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And the little squeaky voice in the back of the council meeting said nothing. Isaiah just stood there and didn't say, here am I, send me. But he just was silent. Would God have turned to him anyway and said, okay, go and say this thing to these people? Or would God have found someone else who was willing to volunteer? You see, his volunteering actually invites the calling and the assignment to him. It's not always calling first. Many times it's as we volunteer and offer ourselves that actually invites the call of God into the situation. You know, we often ask God, what do you want me to do? But that's not really what we see Isaiah doing here. It's more he's saying, I see you have this need. Can I do this? Here am I. Send me. And that change of question changes everything. Because that question of, God, what do you want me to do, has at its root, if you don't tell me something to do, I'm not going to do anything. But there is a much more active way for us to live our lives in the spirit, which is to look to him, to see the needs in the earth, to hear his heart and his desires, to look at the scriptures and see what he's longing for, and then say, God, can I do this? And sometimes he might say, no. And then you go, okay, just so you know I wanted to help there. And then he exposes you to something else, and you say, God, can I do this? And you'll feel peace come down and flood in the moment. And maybe falling right behind that at a call experience that launches you out into what he wants to do for you there. But it comes from the spirit of a volunteer. You know, you know some of you, uh, prayer, prayer, senior prayer and prophecy is coming up this weekend, right? How many seniors do we have in the room here? You know, some of you guys, I'm sure, as you're going into this time, you're asking that question. God, what am I supposed to do? Senior prayer and prophecy is an amazing and a funny time, isn't it? Because God is just so excited to speak to you life and destiny and the incredible purposes he has over you and words that will guide you in the future. And then we make it so weird. <laughs> like, like, I'll be honest, I'll speak right to the seniors. First of all, you're terrified that God's going to call out the secret sin in your life, aren't you? You're thinking about that thing you did three weeks ago, and you're like, oh, my goodness, if Sister Sylvia speaks that out in the middle of this session, I'm literally going to melt into this chair and never show my face on this campus again, right? And you're thinking, I know you are. You're like, I did this thing three weeks ago. It's going to happen. She's going to call it out. Oh, my God, I'm so, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh, geez, God. You know, I repent. I repent. Listen. If God wanted to prophet shame you into doing something, he would not wait till senior prayer and prophecy. He's had opportunity for years to do that to you, okay? That's not his ways. That's not what he does. And if you're really afraid, you could just go and confess the sin, you know, like God says to do in the Bible and stuff, you know? <laughs> 
and then you're, at the same time, you're freaked out about that. You're absolutely desperate for God to tell you, God, what am I supposed to do next, right? When I finish school, what do you want me to do? And, 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 and details, please. And so there's all kinds of seniors that are back in the Oasis prayer room, a little paper bag hyperventilating, like in the few hours before the prophecy, like, oh, God, please tell me what else to do. What do I do when I graduate? Help me, help me, help me. Listen, I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but he's probably not going to speak that in your senior prayer and prophecy. Because... God wants you to have a relationship with him, not a roadmap from him. And he wants to talk with you as you walk through it. And that's why it says his word is a lamp unto my, not 60 miles down the path, right? His word is a lamp unto my feet, showing me what is the next step that you have for me. And when that time comes, he's going to speak to you everything you need to know. You don't have to fear. You don't have to worry about it at all. And then the other thing, you know, you're going into your senior prayer and prophecy, and, and, you, and you got those two you're kind of freaked out about, but that you're also kind of secretly hoping that someone says something about marriage, right? <laughs> like, preferably with a when and a who attached to it, right? And you're hoping that kind of gets worked out along the way. Listen, don't just passively ask God what he wants you to do. Be a people who take initiative. Be a people who offer yourselves up. Be a people who volunteer. Be like Isaiah. You know, think about it this way. If you were God, what would you want? Would you want sons and daughters that would only ever do something if you gave them a direct command? You know, I, I'm, I'm a dad, you know, and you, you, you do give a lot of direct commands as a dad. It's like, right? It's like, okay, please go do your homework now. Hey, could, could you clean up your room now, please? Please get your brother out of the headlock right now. For the love of God, not a full Nelson either, you know. Like, he's only one year old, okay? You know? And so you're given a lot of direct commands. But one of the most precious things is when your kids just volunteer to do something good. I, I, my, my daughter, Eva, she's so sweet. I'll just be sitting at the table, and she'll just walk up behind me, and she'll start massaging my shoulders. She's six years old. Who does that? And so she just starts massaging my shoulders, and I'm like, oh, that feels good, honey. Thanks. And she's just doing this thing, massaging my shoulders for my wife. She'll go play with her hair because my wife likes that, right? And she's just trying to do what she knows we would love. And so am I ever going to look at my six-year-old daughter and be like, hey, give dad a massage now? No. <laughs> There's things you're not going to direct command all the time. It's like it's weird, right? But when she comes and does that, do I resent the initiative? Not at all. Do I somehow feel like you're out of submission or being obedient right now? No. Her initiative along the lines of what she knows I would love is the thing that endears her to me more than anything else. And this is the kind of son and daughter that God's looking for. You might say, well, if you're just kind of doing it on your own and, and God didn't speak a word to you first, aren't you just acting in the flesh? Well, I, I don't think so. This, this is what the Bible says it looks like to act according to the spirit or the flesh. Those who live in accordance to the flesh have their minds on what that nature desires. Now catch this. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. When I take initiative because my mind is set on what the Spirit desires, and that very minute, I'm walking as, according to, as much according to the Spirit as I possibly can. 
That idea of not having to be commanded, not having to be told, but having a mind that desires to walk according to the Spirit is exactly what God's looking for. I think of it in, in an employee. Like, if, if you were running, like, the subway in Avon or the restaurant, right, and you had two employees and you said, okay, listen, you teach them everything, show them how to bake the bread and stuff, and you say, okay, just take care of customers and make sure they have a wonderful experience, and if you need anything, I'm going to be back in back. And so you're doing your paperwork in the back, and you come out, and employee number one is just, like, sitting there, and there's trash all over the room, things are dirty, and you're like, dude, what are you doing? C clean, up, clean up the room. He's like, oh, sure, boss. A few minutes later, he knocks on your door. He says, there's a customer here, and they want lettuce on their sandwich. Can I do that? Y yes, just make the customer happy, right? And then you have a second employee that you go in the back, and that person's making sandwiches for people, doing things. If he has some extraordinary situation, he comes back and asks your input, and you walk out a little bit later. The, the dining room is, is spotless clean. You find him in the bathroom scrubbing the toilet, right? Which employee would you rather have? You want the person who's going to take initiative. You want the person who cares about what you care about and will do whatever's in their power to see it come to pass. Not just the person who's looking for a direct command. God is looking for sons and daughters who will volunteer, who will ask the question, God, can I, about the desires of his heart, who will take initiative within the mission that he's already given us. Do not graduate from this amazing place and go out and waste it all in a posture of passivity. When you are sent out from here, you are trained with a purpose. You are trained to bring revival to different places around this earth. You are trained to bring the word of God and his power and his presence wherever you go. And so when you leave this place, don't go out into just a posture of passivity. Seek the Lord and take initiative to do something amazing. William Carey, the father of missions, says it this way. He says, attempt great things for God, expect great things from God. Get out there, try and do something great for him. Have your ears listening to him all along the way, and as he steers you, let him steer you too. Within the context of that way of living, I want to put a need and opportunity before you guys today. You know, I've had the amazing privilege for this last nine months to be here and to get to connect with many of you guys. I've gotten to share with you several times from up here and play basketball with a bunch of you, have lunch with some of you. But really up to this point, I haven't talked to you about the thing that is, the, that is so near to my heart, and that's China. And so I want to take a few minutes as we end this morning to talk to you about the incredible opportunity and the incredible need that's before us in China right now. When Matt and I, it was 12 years ago, took that step into China and had that incredible experience, we just totally ignorantly stumbled into something that God had been putting together literally for centuries. Because right now in China, there are these two unique windows that God has opened over your generation there. The, the first is what I would call the, the window of influence. You know, if, if you know anything about the world right now, you know China is like this rising superpower, right? 
It's, it's, it's this becoming more and more impactful economically. They're catching up to America's economy. Militarily, they're becoming more uh, just impactful in the world. And politically, things are being very affected across the world by them right now. And there's whole parts of Africa and South America and Asia that are aligning themselves with China as their superpower. And so there's this amazing thing that's happening around the world. It's a shift that probably only happens once every 50 years where a superpower is being raised up in our generation. And God has put China for his purposes in this place of influence right now. And the amazing thing is when you look at the college students, the young people your own age in China, they actually are even multiplied in their influence. You know, in, in America, we love it when someone drops out of college and then succeeds wildly, right? It's like Bill Gates, he dropped out of college and then became the richest person. He's like amazing. Like, like, like that's like part of our, like, our hero story. Not so in China at all. In China, if you want to step into a position of influence in that nation, every single road to that will go through one of the top universities in China. They're very, very education-centric. And so when you are reaching young people at the top universities in China, you're literally touching the lives of those who will hold the steering wheel of one of the world's great superpower over this next generation. And so there's incredible influence that's being entrusted to that generation in China right now. And at the same time that that's happening, God in his sovereignty has chosen to open what I would call a door of openness over China at the same time. You see, what happened was 60 years ago, communism came in and did everything they possibly could to suppress every religion in China, Christianity and every other religion too. And so they began to push down and press down every religion and say communism is the thing to believe in. But what's happened right now in this generation is the ideals of communism have fell apart. And so when you look at your generation in China right now, it is different than any other place I'm aware of in the world. And that is they do not have a belief system. They don't have something that gives meaning to their life. You know, there's all kinds of fraudulent belief systems out there, whether it's Islam or Buddhism or humanism or whatever it is. They don't have anything. There's nothing that gives their life meaning. And so time and time again, if you talk with a Chinese person, they will make this statement to you. They'll say, China needs something to believe in. And because of that, there is this incredible openness among your generation in China where their hearts are like a vacuum that has nothing filling it already. And so when good news gets brought into that place, it gets sucked right in. Man, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to someone and in my very first conversation with them, the first time I met them, I lead them to Christ right there on the campus or right there on the bus. Just this last summer, we had a team of about 12 people go over from this area. Two of them were Elam students, Sean Yoder and Kyler, right? And so th those guys go in. In the first week, they're in China. They lead 10 people to Christ. That's crazy, right? Like, did you lead 10 people to Christ this last week? I didn't either. I mean, it is this incredible openness right now where God has sovereignly worked to prepare people's hearts as a people to receive something right now. That, that, that same team, I'll, I'll tell you another one. There's one group of three guys in that team. The first time they walked on campus, they met a guy, and they led him to Christ right there on the spot. The second time they walked on campus, they met a guy, they led him to Christ right on the spot. The third time they walked on campus, they met a guy, they led him to Christ right on the spot. The fourth time they went out, shared the gospel with someone, and the guy said no. 
The fifth time they went out, they shared the gospel with someone. He came to Christ right in the spot. And then a couple months later, that fourth guy came to Christ too. I mean, it is, it is just nuts right there, the openness that's going on among this group. And so there's this incredible opportunity right now. I want to put a challenge out before you guys. I want to ask you to volunteer to give a semester to bring the gospel to Chinese college students. Unless Christ is directing you somewhere else, if he is, please obey him. When you're finished with your studies here, volunteer, give a semester, and make a difference in one of the most strategic, most open places on earth right now. Because God will take that offering, and he will do something incredible. It was just two goofy Elam students like you, me, and Matt years ago that the whole thing started from. And what would happen if God took 10 of you guys and sent you out this fall? You, You would turn cities upside down for Christ. And that's my sense, honestly, over what God wants to do right now out of you guys as a body. That it's not just, every year we have two or three that go. But I believe God wants to do something unique this year. That he's calling a bunch of you to band together. And you're going to be more powerful together than you would be doing something on your own. And you're going to step into things to China. And you are going to have a power together that is going to be so city-shaking and campus-changing, it'll be like nothing we've ever seen in the history of Campus Target. Let me ask this question. How many of you have already applied to go with Campus Target this year? Would you stand up if if, if that's you? Sorry to put you on the spot. Sal, Mariah, Krista, good. You guys are awesome. Stay standing for a sec, sorry. I want to ask another question. How many of you have been considering the idea of going with Campus Target this year? Just lift your hand up. I'm going to have you stand too. So just stand up if you've been thinking about it, okay? This is not any commitment or anything else. I just want to get a feel for people who've been thinking about it, okay? So you can stand up now. Okay, this is a pretty amazing start we got right here, okay? This group right here could take a city, I think. Do you, do you, do you agree with me? Okay, for those of you that are sitting down still, I want to challenge you to consider when you're done with your studies at Elam, giving a semester. I'm not talking about a long-term commitment to China. You guys can sit down. I'm not talking even about a long-term commitment to missions. I'm talking about volunteering yourself to give a season for something you know is near to God's heart and allowing him to re-steer you if he wants you to do something else. So let's just close your eyes with me as we end here. If you're not willing to do the China thing, no, no problem. But if there's something in your heart that is willing to do it, that's willing to offer up a semester, I want all of us to just ask a question right now. And it's this one. God, I know this is near to your heart. Can I do this? Just, just in the secret place where you're sitting right now, just ask him that question. Holy Spirit, I know this is a good thing. I don't know if it's the right thing. Can I do this? And listen, for some of you, he's going to say, no, I got something else prepared. 
But for others, just in taking the initiative, just in asking that question, you're going to feel his peace just falling. Can I do this? Wow. Really? Lord, I just pray for this group right here. I know no matter where they go, they are going to have such an incredible revival impact for you. But Lord, I do sense in the spirit that you're calling a large group, Lord. I'm asking for 10 that would come together this fall, would link arms, would be stronger together than they are apart, and would launch into China to take campuses and cities for you. Some of those ones have other places they're called to long-term. It's just going to be a, a short-term step for them. Some of them even are just called back to the states, and they're going to be pastors or do something like that long-term, but this is a short-term step for them. But out of their spirit as volunteers, you're going to take that as an offering, and you're going to do something beyond our wildest dreams to them this year, Lord. And so I just ask that you would speak to them. I ask that you would raise them up. And I just ask that as a people, we'd be, we'd be a people to have a spirit of volunteers, loving sons and daughters who are chasing after your desires, not sitting back waiting for a direct command. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we, let me share one last thing. If God is doing anything in your heart, about China. I'm not saying it's a commitment or you feel you're in, but if you feel any interest, there's any possibility you might do that in the fall, I'm going to be up at lunch and we have a bunch of tables that are gathered together. I just want you to invite and just come sit with us during lunch. And I just want to share a few more minutes about stuff with China. And uh, if you can't make it to lunch for some reason today, just come talk to me after the service and I'll do lunch with you some other time, okay? Have an awesome day, guys. Love you.